This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen. And you are listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we are talking to two women who started their own equestrian retail businesses. Mary Campbell of Mare Modern Goods and Hope Birch of Maryland Saddlery chat with us about how they found their way into starting and owning their retail businesses. Mary Campbell is a designer, painter, and illustrator. She has worked with some of the leading firms in the Fortune 500 to create relevant and innovative design and brand identities. Her clients include Procter & Gamble, McDonald's, Emory University, the Coca-Cola Company, SunTrust Bank, Nisa International, Georgia Pacific, Newell Rubbermaid Corporation, and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. She currently takes limited freelance projects and owns her own company, Mare Modern Goods, an equestrian brand for gifts, apparel, and accessories. Hope Bursch grew up in New York City, more specifically in the Bronx, She began riding at five years old when she followed her brother to his weekly riding lessons at Fox Hill Farm in Westchester, New York. During high school, Hope began teaching and riding at a barn in Van Cortlandt Park because she could walk there every day from school. She bought her first horse at 13 and has never been without one since. After college, Hope spent a year in Alabama focusing on eventing and training with Jim Graham. In 1985, Hope moved to Maryland and taught riding at McDonough School, and in 1989, she opened her first location of the Maryland Saddlery. It was a tiny 750-square-foot store located near the school so all her former students could shop. Hope spent many years advising equestrian apparel brands on fit and patterning, especially with the fit of children's show clothing. In 2006, Maryland Saddlery opened their first consignment location, across the parking lot at their current location in Butler, Maryland. With the success of that store, Hope opened a second in Crofton, Maryland in 2011, and a third store in Hawkesson, Delaware in 2013. Now the three stores feature a perfect balance between new goods, used goods, and overstock, which is new with tags at a discount goods. Shoppers and consigners can buy and sell equestrian equipment, apparel, and supplies exactly how they choose. Hi, ladies. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you today and find out more about you and your businesses and be able to share your stories and your experience uh, with our listeners. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to meet Mary at Equitana this year, and I've gotten some of her brand, her shirts and stuff. I was really excited that you were able to make it and hope I haven't met you before, but it's really nice to meet you. And Jen shared some um, interesting information with me about things that are going on in your business. So it sounds Mm -hmm. like it's going to be exciting. Yeah. We've got lots of good stuff coming up. That's great. Mary, let's go ahead and start with you. If you could tell us a little bit how you became interested in your fashion and kind of lifestyle brand that you have. And tell us a little bit about Mare Goods and and what you have. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, my background is in graphic design and marketing and advertising to some degree. So I kind of approached it from that angle, not so much from the the fashion angle per se. So I had been working in uh, the marketing world for about 16 years when I got back into writing. And then, of course, I was looking around trying to find out what other brands were out there since I had since I had left the industry and, you know, I was hoping I could find things that reflected my design sensibilities, which are more bright and colorful and pattern driven, sort of in the Mary Mecco Bowden vein of design and really didn't find anything that kind of fit that bill. So I was at an, at a point where I could leave my job and, and go back to freelancing and contract work. And I decided that would be a good time to start my own thing and combine my passion for horses and the equestrian world with the real world talents that I had. So that was sort of how I got into a starting mare. 
And it was really just about bringing color and fun and patterning and that vitality and joy that I feel around being by being around horses to some of the products that I was creating. That's great. You know, equestrian kind of has the reputation of being very traditional in the way we present ourselves (laughs) and yeah, beige and black. (laughs) So I think that's really cool that you want to bring something different into it and be more colorful. Absolutely. I love the traditional look of things too. Uh, So it's not about replacing that. It's just about adding something additional to the mix and kind of loosening it up a little bit. I mean, I my writing background now is now in eventing, so eventers do tend to be more colorful. So I, I, I kind of hopped into the right uh, avenue for my writing pursuits. But you know, even seeing some of that color and patterning being brought into the hunter ring, and you know, with some of the hunter writers and maybe more traditional writers, has been interesting. And I've seen a lot of change really in the past couple of years. So it's exciting to see those shifts and the umbrella opening up to include more people and different kinds of things. And hope, how about your story with your tack shop with the saddlery. How did you get interested in that? So I came to Maryland where I have now been living for a really long time as a riding instructor where we all sort of begin our careers in the horse world after college (laughs) and quickly realized there wasn't a tack shop that really catered to what people needed. They tended to dress them sort of dress them up sort of like you were saying, in traditional goods, head to toe, whether they were starting out or not starting out and sending them off to us. And here they would arrive overdressed and overspent and completely in the wrong equipment. So after three years of teaching, I decided my family is a big independent business family. We are years and years of generations of teachers and actual retailers. My family originally came to the con- this country many years ago to sell men's clothing. So we've been in the retail business forever. But I decided to open a retail store because I felt like I could cater to the students I was teaching. I was teaching at a a private school in Maryland called McDonough, which has an enormous riding program. And I could sell clothing that children really needed. But when I got into it, so I opened the store in uh, 1989. We're going into our 33rd year of business this year. And I started working with manufacturers right away, Taylor Sportsman, when before the current owners, but the original Taylor Sportsman and a lot of other original brands to rebuild their patterning to fit children instead of taking a grown up clothing and sh- like squashing it in, in the wrong directions. You know, so <laughs> I really helped them redesign their patterns for jodfers and show clothing and boots and paddock boots and redesigning a lot of tall boots with manufacturers. So that was really fun to do to begin with, especially as a young entrepreneur and a young retailer. So that was sort of where we started. We've moved the store twice since. Now we're in our in, a, in our final resting place. <laughs> expect <laughs> that to be forever. And then we have two more. So we opened two over the years. And so we're now three stores plus a women's clothing store because riders never have time to go shopping. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. And so you have the brick and mortar store, but do you also do online as well? We have three brick and mortar stores plus a women's clothing store. And then Maryland Saddlery has uh, MarylandSaddlery.com, which is our website. Maryland Saddlery is an interesting hybrid. We are a, a really super unusual store. Mary and I have worked together over the years. I've purchased her stuff for sale in our store, and she's also sends us sometimes goods to sell on our overstock division. So we have all sorts of ways that we partner with equestrians all over the, the world now. So right now we are new. We buy new goods like a normal tax shop. Maryland Salary is a regular tax shop. Always new things that we would never sell used like a helmet. And then we also have used, which is our regular customers just humping in all the equipment, gently used equipment that they no longer need. That's a lion's share of our business now. And then we have an overstock division, which is our partnership with over 90 tax shops around the United States. And they send us goods that they cannot sell in their store. You know, every store has goods that cannot move. So we are sort of like the marshals of the horse world. So a lot of what you'll see on our website is overstock, which is new with tags at a discounted price. And it's a really kind of fun uh, aspect of the business. So all three pieces of equipment, new use and overstock, literally are hung on the same rack. And people can buy as they feel most comfortable. Oh, that's a great concept. I learned, I really like that. And Mary, how about, do you, do you actually have a brick and mortar store? I do not. I started with my business being strictly online and 
then I started going to horse shows and kind of having a small setup that I do that way. And I purchased a cargo trailer that I converted into a mobile boutique. So I take that all around to different shows um, and different events and that sort of thing. I kind of wanted to stay away from the brick and mortar just because it's quite expensive to have the retail space. And, you know, when you're a startup, you don't want to spend money on things that are not really going to be a smart investment. So I'm holding off on that aspect of it. I may not ever do the brick and mortar just because because I have good success with my website and through going to some of the shows and events that are relatively close by. And you, then you also partner up with like Hope, different tax shops, and they sell your goods as well? I do. I have sort of a limited wholesale aspect to my business. I personally am still a little bit on the fence about whether or not I want to dip into the wholesale versus direct-to-consumer market. So I... Just I don't really push it too much, but if, if someone approaches me and they want to carry the goods, then I, I will usually partner with them. It's a, it's a small portion of my business right now. You know, I think sometimes people, when they want to start a business, maybe they do something because they it's what they want to do or it's what they want to buy and i think the two of you really noticed in the industry something lacking hope there wasn't a good tax shop around you and mary there weren't items that had that color and pattern and seeing something that isn't available and being able to fill that niche and that spot is a really cool way to be able to start a business and know how did you kind of know there may be a market for it? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was just a matter of looking at kind of the broader retail space and looking at other brands that are not necessarily equestrian brands, but brands that I was drawn to and just looking to see what people are, are drawn to and interested in and noticing that those options were not really available for the equestrian market or were so limited, you know, it made me realize, well, uh, th- there is a, there is a market for it. There are tons of people that love horses. There are tons. And these are the same women that are purchasing goods from Lululemon or Bowdoin or wherever you're looking. So, you know, it's just a matter of taking the aesthetic and the concept of, of the horses and the equestrian stuff and applying it to the same goods that they were already purchasing, but in mm-hmm. a more modern and colorful way. So, um, you know, and I kind of trust my gut on those things to some degree too. I mean, I, I know if I like it, then it's likely there's other people out there that are going to like it. You know, I I always check my gut, but I do trust my gut on those kinds of things too. Mm -hmm. Hope is that a, a same situation for you? Well, the other hat I wear is a retail coach. So it's a kind of cool other hat. So I'm a whiz bang retail certified coach. What I do through whiz bang is help other retailers kind of fix, work on, grow their businesses. And that gives me a kind of a slightly different picture on how equestrian businesses function. I mostly work, I would say, 100% with equestrian businesses. There are other retail stores that have approached, but I like working in our industry best. Um, and really, you know, like Mary was, has a great idea and is sure of herself and had been in, in the industry long enough to know what was missing. But a lot of people make an enormous mistake by trying to sell something they want that ha- just because they want to sell it. And it has nothing to do with the research and has nothing to do with what's out there. And they sink a lot of funds in doing something because, I mean, I said there weren't any good tax shops, but really I was coached by my father who was a, an amazing businessman. And the first thing he said to me is go buy a tax shop that's out there. That's good. So, you know, get out of your comfort zone, stop complaining and go look. And I did approach a tax shop that it was in the area and I checked them out through our industry and I heard that they could never pay their bills and they never paid their bills on time and they were all on COD. And so I was like, okay, this is not a shop. To, this is not be a shop for me to buy. And the other ones were very old and historic and not kind of fun and new. So I knew that there was a white space. But then my brother, who is, this is sort of a sideways moment, but my brother, who was a restaurant critic, said to me, you never open a restaurant unless you have 200 patrons. And the difference between a patron and somebody that comes in and eats once is a patron patronizes. They come to your restaurant on a regular basis. So if you don't have 200 people you could personally name, 
who are going to support your business. You really can't open your business. Like, you know, you can, it's going to be really hard, but you've yeah. got to go with your warm leads and your warm support first, because you can't just jump in and go to cold. Right. Yeah. So I taught at McDonough school for three years. I taught over a thousand kids to ride because their this private school pushes everyone through the riding department. You go swimming, you learn volleyball, you go riding. So I had a thousand kids, right. That knew Miss Hope. And that made me pretty sure that I had a, a running start at it. So yeah, you know, you can go with your gut, you can do a lot of things, but you got to test it first. You got to do your research and then you have to have a lot of warm leads yeah. you know, before you jump in. That's great advice. And Mary talking about products, when you first started, what was the first item that you designed and came up with? I saw that question and I was thinking it was really more of a design that I created first and kind of because everything that I do is very graphic driven. And then I applied that to an assortment of different products. So probably the first and, and most popular design that I've had is the two horses that are, they're grooming. People always say that they're hugging, but they're not hugging. We all know that <laughs> horses don't hug. So <laughs> that's been kind of my, my most popular and kind of, kind of signature design that I continue to roll out every year in different colorways or on new products and that sort of thing. And that's called the, the lovey design. And it's inspired by my first horse lovey. Cool. And how much time do you spend designing new products? That's a great question. I, I would say probably about uh, maybe 40, 45% of my time. I mean, mm. there's so many things that you have to do when you're the, you know, the, the owner of your own business that as much as I would like to spend more time working on the product development and the design aspect of it, I end up in other aspects of the business, you know, selling or merchandising or working on inventory or accounting things mm. or looking at spreadsheets, which I super duper love, but it's all part of it. So you have to be willing to kind of get your hands dirty in all of it, which is fun, but probably the design, I, I and it's also kind of cyclical too. I mean, in the spring and early fall or early spring, early fall, I spend a lot more time working on design because I'm rolling out new products, creating new designs. I'm getting things ready to launch for spring and then for fall. So, you know, it tends to be heavier in the design hours around those times. Cool. And Hope, you said kind of at the beginning, you helped tailored sportsmen with some of their designs. Is that something you still do and help companies or do you just... Yeah, I do help companies, not specifically with them anymore. But if I can... uh, Routinely, companies in the past have sent us product to talk about and to test and to um, check on and make sure that, you know, things are right. A lot of the time is sort of a funny process. It's really taking fabric out of the middle, which is a sort of funny thing to say, but you know, they'll make a pant shorter, but they'll take it off the bottom, but really you need it. You know, when you shorten a garment, right. It's got to come from the middle, you know, the crotch to knee and uh, you know, it doesn't just come off the bottom because then you've got your knees too close to your feet. So there was a lot of teaching that went on or riding coats, original riding jackets. And I think there's one sitting here that's an old tailored, tiny tailored sportsman I've had. And I lend it out to people. And then it comes back to me. It's a size one. It was one of my first designs. And it's 20 something years old that my uh-huh. kids wore in lead line. And I just had, I literally took a coat and, and pulled it up in the middle and pinned it all the way across the waist and said, that's how you make it, send it back in, take it out at all, stop taking it off the bottom. And we've done that with tack too, you know, saddles, notoriously, they whack the back of a saddle off and make it into a children's saddle, but that's not where it's got to come from, right? It's got to come out of the middle and up from the bottom, you know, you can't just, just can't chop off the end. So it's been a, a fun ride with that because we, you know, we teach people really about it. It's not that those patterns, those children's patterns aren't out there. It's just, if you remember, like how often are small children in men's tailored suit coats, right? Like never. Um, So (laughs) the the amount of manufacturers making suiting for children is almost non-existent. So they don't really understand the patterning. Now, you know, RJ and everyone are brilliant. I've helped RJ a lot with their patterning Mm -hmm. and and that's been a lot of fun too. Just, but in the earlier days, they've got it dialed in pretty well now. Hope I'll have to talk to you because my two-year-old might be doing lead line this winter. <laughs> <laughs> my, my one, I'll send you my one. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and originally, just to back up a tiny bit, we, our first growth moment, other than retail, was we had a mail order catalog before the internet. And our mail order catalog was purely for children. And oh. everything in it was children. And, ch- and these amazing photography done by a very close friend of mine named Nina Ewing, who's passed away. But she did these really candid black and white. We were known for these like great candid photography of kids and ponies. And so we designed everything for us. We designed t-shirts. I went to Mexico and got catacoots made that were about that big. And that was when you couldn't buy a little. So I had to buy 500 pairs per size. (laughs) (laughs) 500 size five toddler, which you know what size that is. You've had a toddler, right? She's in it right now. 500 sizes, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, 500 wow. pairs of each one. I had them everywhere. I had them in the garage. I had them against <laughs> <laughs> room. And my husband was like, what are we doing? We're buried in tiny little children's paddock boots. But it took about 15 years to sell them all. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes uh, they crop up here and there. I'll find one. We'll show up. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I do have the problem with the britches because I'm pretty short and there are some pretty high-end brands now that are not made for short people like me, (laughs) for very tall people. I have an impossible time (laughs) finding ones that fit well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, taking off the bottom has not been the solution. (laughs) The knee's still down by my calf, so (laughs) (laughs) for sure. Uh, I found one brand that I really love that actually fits short people. And my friend who's very tall, who could wear the other brands, she was always, yeah, I can't wear them. They're way too short. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. perfect for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least the fabrics have improved. I mean, Mary's works with great fabrics. I mean, the, the fabrics you guys are working with now is so much better than what, yeah. I mean, Taylor Sportsman two-way stretch. You know, remember, you couldn't, you could bend over this way, but yeah. forward, yeah. but nothing went sideways. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I found too? As I've gotten older and changed shapes that I can't wear the side zips anymore. Oh God, no! I would never wear a side zip breech anymore. No, and I am after two kids. That would be dangerous. Yes, yeah, Uh, and now I'm thankful for some high waisted ones as well. (laughs) There's all sorts of yeah, I know. And then you know, it's fun. What's fun to sell, and I'm sure Mary does it a a lot, are things that don't have to fit people, right? Like your bracelets and all the other. You have some great stock that yes doesn't. I do very much love selling things that are not sized. (laughs) (laughs) It's just really, it's hard because, I mean, you know, women's bodies, especially, they're so different. And, you know, you want to have something that's going to work for every type of body. But it's if you're a small business, it's really hard to be able to buy an assortment like that or create enough product with that kind of, you know, detailing in mind. So, you know, it's something that I definitely focus on and try to be as inclusive as I possibly can. And hopefully as I grow, I'll be able to do more of that and be able to offer more expanded sizing and different sizing. But it, it is complicated. And, you know, as you all know, I mean, you know, we, we like things to fit our bodies exactly the way that we want them to fit. So but we're all very particular, which is great that there are so many different options now and different brands that appeal to different kinds of bodies and everything. But it is challenging as a person who creates apparel to, to handle all of those requests and to make every everybody happy. So I, I do love the non-sized items. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I bought a couple of shirts over the summer and I really, they were more for the fall and I didn't really try them on when I got them and they were small, which is my size normally. Well, I gave them to my smallest friend I know and they didn't fit her. And I ended up giving them to a teenager at the barn who's this tiny, itty bitty, skinny thing. And I think they fit her, but like we're in a size large in that brand. And I was just like, I mean, actually the large doesn't even really fit me. It fit fit my friend and I did, I sent back an extra large because it didn't fit. So I can imagine that it's a nightmare keeping that many styles in stock in all the different sizes for all the different shapes of people. It's challenging and it's frustrating because sometimes they will change sizing up just based on color or material. So you'll order what's Mm. typically a small, but it comes in this big. So (laughs) you're like, what am I going to, what am I going to do with this? I don't have 
not everyone that wants to buy my products weigh 80 pounds and are four feet tall. So this is not mm-hmm. going to work. So <laughs> yeah. So Mary, you have a lot of different collections I saw on your website and they have a lot of different inspirations behind them, which I thought was really awesome. When you're putting together a vision, what's the inspiration behind and the vision that you see when you're starting to put together the collections? Well, they're all driven by the people that and the horses that inspire the stories behind the collections. So I use, I mean, I have a couple of collections that are just, they, they will always be part of the repertoire. I mean, they've just been really popular. They've been around since the beginning and they sell very well. So those kind of stay, but then I'll do seasonal collections and those are based on different riders and horses in the community. So I ask, you know, I'll find people either through social media or, you know, actually I met a woman at Equitana who's the inspiration for one of my collections this fall or the spring rather. And, you know, it's just comes kind of organically through people sharing their stories of their horses with me or, you know, how riding has changed their lives or how horses have changed their lives. And, and that to me is what inspires me and gets me excited. So I, those are the things that inspire the designs for the collections. So it's usually, it's, a pretty deep well of inspiring content as far as that goes. And Hope, I just, in your tax shop, do you put together outfits and inspirations for other people? And how do you do that? What kind of vision do you use while you're doing that? We do a lot of merchandising, you know, mannequin merchandising and putting things together. And then in our social media, we do a lot of flat lays, you know, where you literally create outfit situations with that. Because as I mentioned earlier, Alliance Share is consignment now. Stuff moves in and out of our store at breakneck speed. You know, as I was walking past somebody to go, we have two buildings. A man had, a big, nice young guy was in with his little boy and he said, I'm here to pick up the boots that my wife saw yesterday morning (laughs) in the hallway. There were size 12 men's, you know, Ariat and my manager, they sold yesterday afternoon, you know, uh, so it is a learning curve for people who shop with us that, you know, he's like, oh, I, she, I, she just should have told, picked them up yesterday. Um, <laughs> so for us, we do a lot, uh, you know, it's a very fast shuffle to keep up with the branding and the displays and the merchandising, but we do it all day, every day at all three stores. We're constantly, constantly changing up and changing up just to keep up with mm-hmm. what's going on. Mary, do you ever get stuck on vision or inspiration for a collection? Absolutely. I mean, getting stuck is part of the design process. So, you know, it's always, it's a journey, you know, when you get the the inspiration and the content to work with, getting from just thinking about it to drawing things out to, you know, working with the colors and the arrangement of the different images within the patterns. I mean, that that's always the hardest part is like getting it just right. And also knowing when to stop. I mean, you can overwork things. So you have to be able to kind of take a step back and go, okay, is this working? Is it not working? And, you know, sometimes I get, you know, cause I, I work pretty much by myself. So I'll put things out on social media and ask for feedback from my audience and see what they like. And, and that's sometimes really helpful in helping me just kind of make a decision about which pattern to go with, or if I have a couple of different variations, but yeah, getting stuck is just part of it. I mean, you just kind of have to anticipate it, know it's going to happen and just have the tenacity to work through it and, and know that you'll get to the other side. It just may take a little bit of time. And what do you do to stay inspired and keep evolving and moving forward and growing? You know, I mean, I think that's partly just, for me, I I think the inspiration comes from the passion that I have around horses and around design and creating things. I mean, that's just part of my DNA. So, I mean, I always tell my partner that like going to the barn is like visiting the muse, you know, I have to go there and spend time and, you know, get recharged and remember why I'm doing this in the first place. And that, that really does kind of get me going. And also, you know, talking to my customers and being out and interacting with the people in my community and hearing how, hearing their stories and hearing them talk about either, how, you know, they lo- how they would love the products or, you know, just their experiences with riding that and their horses, that, that really does kind of keep me inspired and excited about what I'm doing. So it's, I mean, COVID has been a little stressful because you don't have those opportunities as much with a lot of shows being shut down and a lot of things that you normally where you'd be interacting with other people not happening. So that's been a little bit interesting just in terms of managing 
managing the isolation, I guess, a little bit there. But back to your original question, I mean, I think the inspiration just comes from just staying connected to the things that that make you come alive. And for me, that's riding and horses and the creative process. Well, that's good. And Hope, how about you? What keeps you evolving in your business? We have a saying around here that we've pivoted this business so often we pirouette. So <laughs> we have... We have come, we have had to, because we're old and I'm old. Yesterday was my birthday. So I'm even older than I was the day before. Happy Um, birthday. Thank you very much that we've had to change. I mean, we've gone through so many technical, you know, uh, technology changes since we started. It's crazy after one, after the other, after the other sort of chasing the technology. And what really interests me is how to reach, how to provide a service for our customers the way they want to shop, Right. It's an, and we're calling it now, um, the new word is omni-experiential, right? Is to reach them in, in any platform, in any given way, at any given moment that they would like to be sold to, purchase. But what's been mostly important to us is sense of community. Our mission is really important to us and our culture, our Maryland salary culture is ridiculously, is, is just at the core of who we are. So you know, we like to say, we, you know, we're knowledgeable, but we're informative. So like we know a lot, but we want to give it all away. We're not, we have zero ego in the information that we have at Maryland Salary. And that excites me, teaching people and showing them how to make things and do things and build things and, you know, anything they want to know. I'm very dyslexic. I'm a dyslexic adult and a store owner and human and I require a lot of repetition and I feel like people don't get to hear things off and in a way that they can learn. And so we teach them in any way they need to know about anything they want to learn about. And that's super important. And we're super team focused and we're people centric. Like we like making genuine human connections. And that's like what Mary was saying, like the genuine human connection is what has kept us grounded because we really as much as I like the internet and I'm excited about our new venture, which you know I could talk about in a few minutes, but I love people coming through my door. They tell us about their horses. They show their pictures of their horses and talk about their kids and bring in their strollers. We have a duck that comes in a stroller. We have a <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> you know, we have a guinea pig and, a, and we have a turtle in a diaper that sometimes shows up and a chicken. You know, you just don't know. And that's what makes it fun. That keeps it, us grounded and excited about our silly world. But we have to keep growing. So that's the, what excites me also is new business ventures. So yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Cause I think, you know, that's what we're trying to do with equestrian business women is mm-hmm. be able to reach out and be a source for business owners to tap into the experience of everyone in this industry. And you know, be able to call on someone and lean on other people for advice and connections and just having those conversations that can really lead you to that next step. So I love that is, you know, your ethos in your business as well. Our mission to have, my mission with being a retail coach is really a business coach of any kind is that people just don't know how to do things and I, and they're afraid to ask because then they yeah. think they're stupid um, or they should have known something. Right. You know, right. And I, it, when Mary said she looked like loves spreadsheets, I think you were serious, right? You weren't joking. You like looking at your spreadsheets. Were you being serious or are you being facetious? <laughs> I have a bit of a love hate relationship with the spreadsheets, but I actually really do enjoy getting into the numbers and, you know, kind of trying to figure things out. It's like a puzzle, you know, so yeah. mm-hmm. you have to enjoy, you have to enjoy kind of all aspects of the business. If you're going to start a business, yeah. you know, even if they're not your best, even if it's not what you're really good at, it still needs to excite you on some level. And mm-hmm. I'm, I am embarrassed to say that my spreadsheets do excite me. So <laughs> see, I knew it. <laughs> you were joking. But you know, yeah. I look at my QuickBooks all the time. My accountant jokes. She's like, you're like my only client that actually runs reports out of QuickBooks. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I got to see what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And it's important to know what we call it who, not how. Sometimes as a business owner, you have to know who to hire, not how to do something. And mm-hmm. as we grow, who, not how is a huge idea that you have to embrace as a business owner. And, yes. and if you don't, you're, you get bogged down in learning, like the learning curve for us and, and why we started talking even to Jump Media is that 
we don't want to learn PR. <laughs> right. I don't want to know how to write, you know, a press release and, or, or how to get my information placed in the right places. Like you guys know how, so I know who I called you. So that's the who, not how that if you don't love spreadsheets, then you hire someone who, who does, because if you can't just ignore an aspect of your business, just like Mary saying, you have to embrace all of it. It doesn't mean you have to do all of it, but you have to do, you you have to participate in all of it somehow and be part of that as a great business. And that's, that's incredibly important. And so, you know, like my phone is always on. People can call my cell and ask me the most ridiculous business questions. And I'm happy to, you know, steer you. I mean, I have people calling, like, how do I fire somebody? Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. right. And that's something they don't know how. They have to get like a big mad on, right? And I gotta get I gotta think of seven thousand reasons I hate this person so I can get <laughs> mad enough to fire them, right? I gotta get fired up to fire them. But you know, yeah. you don't need to get fired up to fire them. You have one reason. They're late too much, goodbye. Right. But yeah. you have to give people permission as business owners to, to not have to do these crazy things that they don't know how to do. So we teach yeah. everyone how to do anything they need to know. Yeah. That's so, that's such a good point because I mean, how do you know if you've never done it? How do you know if, you know, you're doing something for the first time and being able to reach out and have someone like you with 30 plus years of experience and rely on, this is what I did. It worked for me. I think it could work for you or you're in a totally different situation. You need to reassess and and find a different way to do it. That's so important. And being able to ask for help is what's, you know, a key thing, especially if you're like Mary and you're the only person in your business and you're doing it yourself, being able to ask for help is so important. It's actually brave. I read that quote recently. Asking for help is brave. And as horse people, we're super independent, right? Like we can wrangle that horse. We can catch that loose horse. We can make him pick his foot up. We can do all these, like we're tough, independent people. (laughs) That's like our DNA, right? And so then you don't know when you need to ask for help sometimes because you're so used to like figuring it out. Just do it yourself. Do it. Figure it out. Yes. But sometimes (laughs) like you just don't know. And and yeah. you only know what you know, as we say. Yeah. So, or you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> you know what you don't know. And this is really funny like that. And there's a lot of help out there for business. And there's a lot of data to, to help you navigate your business. <laughs> yeah. And I think people in this industry kind of get stuck in the mindset that I deal with horses and it's and it's different. You know, we're in a different industry and it doesn't apply. It truly does. A business is a business and everything that people have learned for decades can still apply to you no matter, you know, if you're teaching lessons or, you know, you're designing shirts and selling them. I think that kind of advice applies no matter what industry you're in. It could be yarn. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't make a difference to be honest with you. You have so many horses, you have so many skeins of yarn. I mean, really, it's all numbers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's really like the point of equestrian business women. A lot of it is to show people that, you know, we have to step up and start running this business like it's a business and, you know, yeah. really take into account business. Right. And and running it in a professional way and like you said, you're always growing and evolving and what's the next thing and you're never going to grow or evolve if you're not asking others and and seeing how things are done outside of our little world. I mean, we've talked about this before with other guests about like just the European influence of clothing now, right? And how we they had to make rule changes in order for us to be able to wear colors and, you know, be a little bit more bold. And I think that was like such that shows how stuck the equine industry was for so long. Mm -hmm. And now with all these new fabrics and everything and all the changes, especially in the past couple of years, I feel like, okay, we're at a time where everybody's starting to grow. So let's start being a little more professional in the business too. Yeah. We talked to guests in one of the early episodes about, you know, even just falling in line with 
you know, are you paying overtime correctly <laughs> to yeah. your grooms or, you know, people who work for you? Are you following all of those rules that good businesses do? And I think there's still some room for growth there as well. I mean, I think one of the key things to have is just a, a learner's mindset, you know, to always be open to new opportunities and new ways of doing things. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to start doing them that way, or it's going to change everything about the way you run your business, but that you keep an open mind and are open to those different possibilities. To me, that's just that's always been really important is not to get too stuck in one way. And I mean, Hope does a great job of pivoting and changing and, you know, being aware of what's going on in the greater world around her and changing her business and, you know, adding to her business to accommodate that. And I think, you know, we all have to do that no matter if you're training horses, selling horses, you know, or you're in the retail business, you know, just being aware of the bigger picture out there. I mean, that's the one thing that I find interesting about the horse world is that, even for signing up for horse shows, a lot of times I'm mailing in my entry fees, like with a stamp and an envelope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what is this? This is crazy. Why? I mean, I feel like there's got to be a way we could do this digitally at this point in time. But it's just kind of those kind of obvious things that I think sometimes this industry tends to overlook because it's just kind of always been done a certain way. So, yes. and that's a metaphor for so many things, but it's, it is interesting. And I think, you know, just the key to being successful is being open to change and, you know, being open to new ideas and, and realizing that doesn't take away from what happened before, or it doesn't replace mm-hmm. anything. It's just, now we have this whole new set of tools that we can work with, or this whole new design motif that we can wear or whatever it is. It's just adding, it's not taking away. Yeah. That's a great thought. Some of it is, like you said, a sort of classic issue in our business, which is we're sort of expert-centric, right? You have a trainer, you have a barn owner, you have a vet, you have a farrier. It's a certain amount of professionals that you tuck under, right? And you are very respectful of and listen to. And if they like this or don't like this, you wear this or don't wear that. And we grew up with old, like old, crotchety horsemen who taught you to do certain things. And there's not so many of us around anymore, but that's kind of the way I grew up as well in barns in New York, where, you know, you listen to whatever the old guy said. And, you know, he told you to stand there and hold a horse for six hours. You stood there held a horse for six hours, whatever it was. But that bred a certain amount of hero worship that has actually, I feel, been detrimental to our, to our, world as business people, because really as a business, you should be what we call through Whizbang, we call WWMCW, what would my customer want, right? That's how you run your business. WWMCW, what would my customer want? Not what I want, what would my customer want? So in retail, we've kind of figured that out. The customer's always right, all this other stuff. And one of the successes of my business is that we've taken away every hump there is. If you want to bring something back that you bought five years ago, okay. (laughs) <laughs> if you ate half of it and want to bring it back, okay. If you <laughs> brought something back that you didn't buy from me, okay. I don't care uh, because I'm looking at the lifetime value of my customer, right? It's back to this yeah. customer idea. But what happens in the horse business is you've got somebody who's sort of a talking head trainer who's pushy, and then you've got their customers. They really are their customers. They call them their customers, but they don't treat them as customers. They treat them as people who should listen to them the way they say. And even if so, if somebody's like, they start arguing that somebody leaves, right? They've lost a customer, but they're like, fine, they're gone. I'm happy. No, you're not. You just lost a lot of money. But (laughs) they don't think of it that way. It's still sort of the hairdresser syndrome, right? Like changing Mm -hmm. hairdressers, changing barns, changing things. But you watch the smart ones. You watch the smart trainers and the smart programs and the, the really good ones who have done what Mary is saying. They've pivoted they have new tools in there. They're reaching their customers with emails and they're telling them ahead of time what's happening next week with schooling shows. And they're letting them sign up online and they're going places, doing things. These are successful businesses because they're using the tools we have now. They're not, you know, bullying them into doing things the way we all kind of grew up that way. So it's interesting to see the evolution. And Hope, what was your strategy when building your brand and your target audience? inclusivity. (laughs) And that's it. You know, like I want you to, I want to, what do you want? What can I get you? 
and how do I get it? And how do I make you feel happy wearing it? And how do I make you want to hang out with us? And how do we make you loyal to our brand? Because remember, you don't have to shop with me, you know? And so when life got tough and Dover opened up around the corner, tried to build our, buy our store. And we said, no, I think we'll stay in business a little bit longer. We were 19 years into business when Dover tried to buy us. And they said, well, we'll just put you out of business. If we don't, if you don't let us buy you, we'll just put you out of business. And we were like, oh, 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 oh. that's so bad. <laughs> and it was bad. We lost 40% of our share the first year wow. that Dover opened. And we, but we opened our consignment store across the parking lot. And that saved our lives because people who we thought we knew everybody in the whole wide world turned out there was enormous population of horse people in the state of Maryland we'd never met. And within the first year of opening a consignment store, we had a thousand people. I'd been in business 20 years. A thousand people I'd never met shopped in the consignment store across the parking lot and still wouldn't walk across to my store. <laughs> Right. We sat there with our noses pressed against the glass, watching everybody <laughs> shopping in Simon. And no one came to visit us. They were going to Dover and my consignment store. And that was it. Huh. <laughs> but fast forward, we realized we weren't giving the shopping experience to all five shoppers, right? You've got new and used, 70-30, 70-30, 50-50. So the person in the middle is shopping both displays. These people are partial. These people shop either new or used. That's five shoppers. We're like, oh, we've only been selling to one. So we, you know, that's four more people than you have when you're just a store. And I'm willing to tell anybody this. Like, this isn't a secret. Like, any tax shop that wants to learn how to do it, call me. I'll help you out. Like, there's no competition. The world's wide enough, right? Yeah. But we had to stop selling Cosequin. We had to stop selling buckets. We had to stop selling commodity. So we built our brand more uniquely. Like you get to come in and see really interesting things that we love. We bring in scary stuff. We bring in all the fun little things that you're not going to see everywhere mm-hmm. and also new and used. And so now we're building bigger. We're trying to do it nationally and do our same heart, our same thing, you know, in, on a national platform, but with a, with a true donation, 501c3 is our push That's for our next chapter. Yeah still keeping that core mission at heart, no matter what you're doing or how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe and, even raising thousands of dollars for, uh, hopefully raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for 501c3s around the country yeah. in our industry. And for Mary, I know that, <laughs> that inclusivity is a very big part of your brand as well. You know, was there a specific strategy and given your professional background about building your brand? No, I mean, I think, again, kind of going back to when I got back into writing and I started looking around at what was going on, it it was so shockingly similar to what I had left 20 years prior. You know, it was just the same kind of stereotypical woman that you saw with the horses, you know, the skinny, white, blonde woman. I mean, I know that sounds a lot like kind of me too. So I get that. But, you know, but then I look around and I see all different kinds of people riding all different kinds of bodies, all different kinds of shapes, all different colors of of people, all different kinds of people. And, you know, it always bothered me on a fundamental level that I didn't see that when I opened Dover catalog, they've gotten much better about it now. So I don't mean to call Dover out, but you know, just because that's the only one everybody knows what Dover is. But yeah, I mean, to me, that was just really important that it wasn't just a sport for a certain kind of person that anybody could get into riding and and horses were accessible to any kind of person. Now, granted it's, it can be a cost prohibitive sport, but that's another conversation. But I, I, what I really wanted to do was be able to show any person that they belonged in the sport. Kind of you think about like how golf used to be before Tiger Woods or uh, tennis before Venus and Serena Williams. I mean, it was like very much a very traditional sport. It attracted a certain kind of person. And, you know, how do you ask someone to see themselves in a sport or in, a, in anything if they can't actually see themselves? So that's something that I just really felt strongly about including in my brand and as part of my business is that this is not just about one kind of person. It's about every kind of person. And you don't have to ride English. You don't have to even ride. I mean, I don't care if you ride horses at all. You know, if you love horses and that's part of your, something that you're passionate about, then you belong with Mare. And that was the thought behind the strategy there. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. So what are your plans for future growth? Hope, if you want to start. Oh, thank you. So we've opened a new wing of Maryland Salary called everythinghorses.com. It is a national website. We were across from Mary at RP in our orange tent with our orange everything. RP was a really dream week. It was so much fun. If you haven't done Retired Resource Project in Kentucky, it's a really sweet week. People are so, talk about inclusive, right? They're in the most, it's, it, I've never been around 500 plus horsemen and horses who are more cheering each other on for a week, a diverse group that then this week. And so it was really kind of fun. We introduced it, the RRP, we, to the world that Maryland Saddlery is now doing something called everythinghorses.com. Everythinghorses.com is, like I said, a national consignment website, but with a 501c3 nonprofit twist where every single solitary purchase donates 2% to the 501c3 of the choice of the consigner. So if you send in goods to us, you get to choose from like, well, now we have about five or six, but we, we're about to roll out another 15 501c3s to choose from. And then we all sell goods for 501c3s. We teach pony clubs. Like we're going to be a pony club convention this weekend, teaching the DCs how to, you know, you have 20 kids in your pony club. They each bring in five items. You've got a hundred items to consign to donate to your pony club. You can make a lot of money really quickly and we'll sell the goods for you and send you the money. So we're trying to find a way to really crack open how to take stuff turn it into money so that these 501c3s and these nonprofits can feed their horses and help their kids and come up with scholarship funds because it's great that people want to dump stuff on them, but you can't feed a horse with a blanket that doesn't fit anybody. And they're stuck with a lot of that. So we pay the ship, they send it into us, we sell it, then we give you money. So that's our newest and we're very excited about it. That's really great. And how does somebody become part of your 501c3 that you're is there an application? Yeah, it's really super simple. If you go on everythinghorses.com in the contact us, you can suggest a 501c3. We work with an incredible company called Daily Karma is the inter actually also a nonprofit. Uh, they collect all the funds that are earmarked and then they also test out if the 501c3 is legit. And so we yeah. just type in, you know, we have a Beck- retreat at Beckleysville, Mary Shunk, we put it in, boop, pops up 24 hours later. You become one of our 501c3s. There's zero cost involved. I mean, it's really crazy not to get in touch with us and give us your cause. You know, we'll raise oh. money for you the best we can. Oh, that's great. I'm actually on the board of a 501c3. Good. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. I have another one that I'm like, oh, got to apply. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just send it to us. We'll take care of it. <laughs> Mary, where do you think your growth is headed? You know, I think it for me, it's still, I mean, I still feel like I am a, a brand baby. So I may be coming into my toddler phases at this point. You know, it's really kind of getting more streamlined on my product offerings and, you know, how I'm reaching new customers. I mean, my goal for this year is really to branch out of maybe the eventing world a little bit and get out into different, you know, in front of different audiences. So I'm doing it bunch of different events. I'm doing equine affair in Ohio. I'm going to do road to the horse in Kentucky in addition to like Land Rover and some other, you know, bigger shows, but really just trying to get in front of new audiences and expand that because, you know, as I mentioned before, it's not just about mayor's not a brand for a certain type of discipline focused rider. It's really about just the love of horses. So really trying to get in front of more and different uh, audiences for this year is probably one of my, my bigger goals. Great. Well, it's exciting to hear where you guys are heading with your businesses and and the evolution of it. And we really want to thank you for coming on today and talking with us and sharing all of your knowledge and your experiences. I think it's been really cool to learn more about you and, and everything that you do. So at the end of each episode, we ask the same three rapid fire questions to our guests. And Connor starts with the first one. All right. So Mary, we'll start with you. So what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Just a little question. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I was thinking about this and I think 
I don't know if it's an action or a mindset, but I feel as women, we tend to be afraid to do things until we have all of the information and we know everything about it versus just maybe going with um, gut feeling or being more uh, open to taking a risk. And I think as a business person, yes, it's important to do all your homework. It's important to do your research. Like I can't stress that enough, but at the end of the day, you also just kind of have to go for it and understand that you're going to learn along the way and that you don't know everything and you can't know everything and nobody knows everything and no men know everything, no women know everything. So you figure it out as you go. And there is a lot of support and help in our community for people that are starting businesses. I mean, like Hope has said, she's a great resource. I mean, I'm always an open door for anything that anybody, you can ask me literally anything about my business and I'll probably tell you the answer. So it's, I want to see people succeed. I want others to feel confident and courageous in, in taking the risks and doing the things that they love to do too. And understanding that there's a lot of hard work involved, but, but that you don't have to be the expert. You can start something and go for it. So I think just finding that courage and finding that confidence, I, I wish I could give that to every woman out there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. And Hope, how about you? What's one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? It's funny because I'm right in the same vein. I was going to say have courage and don't expect everything to be perfect. Don't let perfection get in the way of progress. Perfection is is a soul crusher. And it actually, you think you're waiting for perfection, but you don't know enough to know what's perfect. So you might as well just dump it and move on. And confidence comes after courage, only after courage. You have to live slightly. So like the best thing you can do is live slightly out of your comfort zone. If you're living in your comfort zone, you're living small. So you have to live outside your comfort zone. You have to do something that scares you. And if it doesn't scare you, it's not a good choice. It really isn't. It's just, you know, sitting and watching Netflix. So yeah, (laughs) you have to live outside your comfort zone. (laughs) Try something bold. (laughs) Take the leap. Yeah. I mean, I think that the whole thing about perfection too is super, Mm. super important because you can overwork something and grind away trying to make it exactly perfect and it's never going to happen. And honestly, it's just the thing that keeps you from taking the risk on yeah. at the end of the day. It's just to yeah. me, it's just keeping you kind of safe because you haven't actually put it out there. So even yeah. if you don't think it's perfect, just do it. I mean, the market will tell you <laughs> if it's good or not, and then you can yeah. just make decisions from there. And the first thing you do isn't the only thing you do. So the first thing is never going to be perfect, right? And, you know, working towards it is the goal and what you should be doing. It's, it's you know, the next, the next one's going to be better and the next one's going to be better. And just, yeah, like you said, taking the risk to, to get it started is, is what's important. And I think, too, just thinking about it, and this does sound super cliche, but, you know, you really have to enjoy the journey aspect of the business more so than the destination. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're not enjoying what's getting you from point A to point B, then you shouldn't be doing it because yeah. that's all this is. I mean, it's, you know, at the end of the, the year, yeah, you can look at your P&Ls and be like, oh, it was a great year. Okay, now what? You know, yeah. I mean, right. You start over. Were you miserable for that year? Yeah. Did you I hate mean, that year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You really do have to just enjoy the process of it. And and there's so much, there's so much in that. Yeah. And Hope, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Gratitude. <laughs> Some people do gratitude journals. Some people say at night the three things they're most grateful for. Some people wake up in the morning and do gratitude is it. Live in the moment and being grateful is living in the moment that you're in. You cannot live in the gap, which is the place between where you are and where you want to be, like what you're talking about, the the horizon. Living gratefully means you're living today because you cannot give up today for tomorrow's worries. Like you have to live today. You don't know if you have tomorrow, to be honest with you. As my father would say, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So (laughs) just, you know, so gratitude. Wake up grateful. Go to bed grateful. Awesome. And Mary, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm going to go with Hope's answer as well. I mean, it really, mm-hmm. truly is the the thing that keeps you grounded and the thing that keeps you focused and the thing that keeps you in today's world versus tomorrow's worries and last week's failures or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the 
to me, it's just like the, it's the most important thing that you can do is to be, to find gratitude for what you have and what you're creating and the opportunity that you have to do it. I mean, not, not everyone can or does do that and that, and just being mindful of those kinds of things and Mm -hmm. finding, finding that time too. I mean, I I started meditating a couple of years ago and it, it really does help just to keep me focused and grounded and learn how to stay in the present because I can be a, a worry wart and a very anxious person. So it's the thing that I have to do in order to keep my sanity too, but it's important for everyone, I think. So those are habits that I think are just really important. Cool. Yeah, I agree. What, Hope, what's your favorite horse movie? All right, there are a million of them, but I love Secretariat because as a kid, I had a huge crush on Steve Coffin (laughs) (laughs) and I got to meet him as a kid and oh my God. And so, you know, there are a lot of horse movies out there, but because of Steve Coffin and secretary, (laughs) and and even though you know the ending, you know, you like the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Mary, how about you? What's your favorite horse movie? Mine was always the Black Stallion only because Mm -hmm. I just love that beach scene where he's like galloping down the beach. No bridle, like how that gets stayed on, I would die immediately. It's always the thing that in my mind I go back to when I'm thinking one day I'm mm-hmm. I'd like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely totally. think that the black stallion is winning for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that like at least one one guest every episode says black stallion. So yeah. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had an amazing time talking with you and thank you so much for your time and, and for being on with us today. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks thanks so so much much. for having us. That was such a good talk today with Hope and Mary. They were so articulate and had so much cool information to share about business. And I just loved how open they both are about wanting to help people and, you know, they can, Anyone can have their phone number or can email them with questions. And I just loved that about both of them. Yeah, I thought they were both really awesome. And I loved how Hope, I I didn't know that she was, you know, part of that business retail group to to help yeah. people. So that that's pretty awesome because she seemed to have a lot of knowledge, deep knowledge of business. And mm-hmm. I liked her ideas and I think she gave us really good information for any kind of business. But mm-hmm. you know, the and the talk about business, right? That that we need more professionalism and changing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that she's a mentor and she helps people organize and grow their business, I thought was a very happy surprise (laughs) (laughs) to know that she does that. Yeah. It like matches up so well with us, right? And and what we're trying to accomplish. So I really like that. And Mary is really inspiring with her designs and her innovation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she does a lot of pretty big stuff with design. Yeah. And, you know, I was so fortunate to meet her at Equitana. She was um, there and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to give her a card because I think this is probably a woman-owned business and we should talk to her and see mm-hmm. how she's going to. And also you should go on her website and check out her clothing because there's some pretty cool. Oh, I have. Stuff. And yeah. there are things <laughs> that I want to buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I forgot what I was just going to say. Oh, I also loved how much they both talked about inclusivity and making that such an important part of their mission of their businesses and you know how they want to make that front and center in this industry. Yeah, definitely. And when I was looking at Mary's website, there's a really cool part of it where you can go on and you can look at all the people that have inspired her for the different collections. And it's just such a diverse group of people. And that was super impressive to me. Mm -hmm. They were both really inspiring and I'm glad we got to talk to them. Yeah. I loved uh, Mary saying that, you know, you really need to have the learner's mindset and be Mm -hmm. open. And then one thing that I took away from Hope was saying that you have to have the who, not the how. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's pretty relevant in everybody's business. Like you don't actually have to do it yourself, but you've got to figure out who can do it for you. Yeah. Really tangible <laughs> pieces of advice for the episode. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to the next one. As always. Mm-hmm.
find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can follow Equestrian Businesswomen on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B podcast wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now, go get creative. Get creative.